Greetings, Visley. Tonight's format is unusual. We have a very special guest tonight. So rather than interrupt the interview, I'm going to tell you right now about our first sponsor. You know them by now, Gamers Giving. Gamers Giving is a 501c3 charity by gamers for gamers. They focus the generosity and resources of the gaming community to help other gamers in need. I just learned about a specific aspect of their outreach, a traveling game library, which they take around to various conventions in the Denver area. Nearly 600 games free to play, which generates interest, helps support the gaming scene, and draws attention to their cause. They even have pre-generated character sheets set up, so if you and some friends want to jump into an RPG you've never tried, you can get right to it. Take a look at their online community, facebook.com gamersgiving, and consider how you might pitch in, financially or with your time, or just joining and being a positive, supportive, and creative community member. My deepest thanks to Gamers Giving for sponsoring this episode. And now, welcome to The Secret Seller. Oh, hello. You're back, I see. Is it the coat room again? Ah, the main hall? Up near the... Uh Uh-huh. Look, friend, I really don't have time for this. There's an important and powerful visitor coming in shortly. So much to do. Here, just take this. It's on the house. It's called a Miller High Life? And let me tell you, in the gray, they considered this the champagne of beers. Yeah, yeah, it's on me. Go over there and enjoy it. Ghosts in the chandeliers, by the suns. So, Monty Cook, I have an important question for you. Uh, what, what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm ch- drinking uh, chai tea. Ooh, I adore chai tea, especially this time of year. Yeah, me too. I am. Um, uh, it took me a long time, actually to warm up to the idea of of drinking hot beverages. I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't drink a lot of tea, but uh, chai seems to work out really well for me. Ooh, that is good. Was there a, a moment in time where you were like, today is the day I'm going to drink a hot drink, or did it evolve over time? You know, um, so I live in Seattle. Sure. And coffee shop culture is so ubiquitous that I sort of needed to find something to order. <laughs> right. Like it was socially limiting to not be able to pick something from the menu. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because if you, if you don't drink coffee and you go into, you know, even a Starbucks, which is sort of, you know, the most kind of commonplace uh, shop, if you don't drink coffee, there are only one or two things for you to drink. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Congratulations on finding something that worked. Uh, that's good. <laughs> um, I have in front of me a mocha with hazelnut, but the the exciting thing about it is not the drink as much as the glass. Mm. It's this really lovely little cafe Scandinavian, I don't know, this little piece of artwork that has a f- like infinity sign shaped handle that sort of 
forces you to hold it with two fingers and stick your pinky out. Like there's no other way. <laughs> there's no other way to drink coffee from this glass. So um, I'll, I'll put a picture in the, the feed. It's it's pretty nice. I'm afraid I just have a very pedestrian looking mug. Oh, that's that's entirely fine. <laughs> well, welcome to the secret cellar. I am very excited and honored to have you here. I'm also slightly nervous for existential reasons, because if you were to like pull out a pen right now and in a stroke decide that the thaw were closing down all bars in Saturine, like this podcast and myself might disappear. And I, I don't know, <laughs> you know. I don't know what to do with that. So, all right. Well, so keep your pen to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't make me pull it out. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll be. I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, most of the people listening probably know who you are, but this is a podcast about storytelling, and some of the folks who listen maybe have never even played a role-playing game. So, if you want to give a little brief blurb about who you and Monty Cook Games is, and kind of what's important to you as a company, that would be lovely. Um, sure. So I have been a tabletop game designer, uh, role-playing game designer for 30 years. And uh, I've worked on, you know, games that everyone has heard of, like Dungeons and Dragons and whatnot, and probably a, a fair number of ones that people haven't heard of. Obviously, we're talking about Invisible Sun here today, which is produced by my company, Monty Cook Games. And we are a small um, but very hardworking little company. We put out uh, a number of games, most of which utilize a system called the Cypher system, but Invisible Sun is, is different. Um, we also put out a game for uh, families called No Thank You Evil. And Monty Cook Games is kind of about focusing on the worlds and the stories that are created with role-playing games and we try to create a very open, welcoming sort of environment through the creation of the worlds and the stories that we make. And we're happy with how it's worked out so far. That is great. It is It is not only your company. There has been a lot of this, but it's made me really happy to see in role-playing games as an art form in the last, I don't know how long would you say, that that things have really gotten much more open and kind of broaden the types of stories that are told and the types of people that can feel comfortable sitting and joining in those stories. When has that trend kind of really become big, do you think? Well, it is true that for most of the lifetime of tabletop role-playing games, which is only, you know, about 40 years, mm -hmm. give or take, it's been a very homogenous group of sort of suburban white boys um you know um it kind of started with college age and high school age kids and you know it, it was one of those things that it wasn't big in big cities at first it wasn't you know it was it was very much sort of a suburban kind of or you know small town kind of thing and I would say it's only like in the last I don't know if I'm going to be generous I would say maybe maybe 10 years but but mm -hmm. it's probably closer to more like eight uh mm -hmm. real honest efforts have been made to say hey you know this is the kind of hobby this is the kind of activity that a lot of people could enjoy and we don't need to treat 
the people who haven't been a part of our core audience as the fringe of our audience and the outliers, right? We want to be welcoming to everyone and just have an audience, right? Without fringes and outliers and whatnot. Um, so that's, you know, we, we have tried very hard to fling the doors open. And like you said, it's not just my company. Um, I would say a lot of companies have done that. Yeah, it's really exciting. Cool. Well, mostly I have you on today because Monty Cook Games is about to announce a Kickstarter, which as we record is going to go live tomorrow, yes? Right. We're going to come back to that in a moment and talk a bit in detail about what to expect from that. But I listened to a lot of interviews with you about Invisible Sun when it was you know, still in development and still kind of a forthcoming thing. I wanted to ask you, now that it has left you know, your your testing tables and left a development and has taken on a life of its own on actual people's tables across the actuality. How are you feeling about it? What has it been like to watch it go and be a thing out there in the world? So here's the the weird truth behind running the company as well as designing a game like Invisible Sun. And that is like on the one level, it's all about the story and the rules that I've created and the and the product that I'm delivering and whatnot. But it's also, you know, about schedules and and you know deadlines and working with the printer and all these kinds of things, right? Logistics. Yeah, the logistics have really dominated my thoughts for like the last. Well, almost a year, like uh, sure. design and editing and art and everything was finished like in last October. So it's been it's been a year, and you know, uh, you know, we had a lot of hiccups and and challenges and barriers that happened with us during the production of this game because this game is really not like anything just physical component speaking is not like anything that's been done before. And I mean, right up until the very last moment as everything is printed and they're getting ready to ship it, right? They discovered that the shrink wrap machine that they had, the black cube was too big, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, literally the very last step of the very last step, <laughs> uh, there was a challenge, right? And it was just the whole process has been like that. And so sure. lots of headaches and whatnot. And so... I say all that because it's it's sort of only now it's only after the game's been out now for you know four or five months am I sort of being able to kind of switch back into storyteller game designer writer mode and and sort of think about things again in terms of 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 the world and people's interaction with it and you know we do this thing, I know you're aware of this, called the Directed Campaign. And the Directed Campaign has, uh, it, it, Directed Campaign is a is sort of an online site where you can, you get all this stuff from us to help you keep playing the game, basically. Uh, so lots of cool. material and props and art and all this stuff. And, uh, but one of the things that it has with it is a, is a set of discussion forums. And my favorite part about that by far is that people post their stories their, so, their they talk about their characters and the the narratives that they're creating and everything and and so i'm getting a lot of joy and reading those and seeing people's creativity doing things you know in satirine that i never imagined <laughs> uh, myself and and that's so much fun sure i know that that's obviously true on some level for every 
product, like role-playing game product you create because it is a platform, right? Like you are not just putting stories out there, you're putting systems out there for people to make their own stories. But are there ways in which the sort of feedback loop of that has felt any different with Invisible Sun or does it feel similar to the the, the types of feelings you had when other, you know, when Numenera went out and you started seeing Numenera stories coming back? It is different. I would say that there are more people who have Invisible Sun who are sort of uh, kind of astounded by it, I guess is the word that I will use. When, for example, Numenera came out, you know, people liked it and enjoyed it and played it. But but Invisible Sun seems to be making an impact on people in ways that that Numenera never did or any of the other games never did. Um, it, it, in terms of the way people look at role playing games, the way that they, you know, think about the whole experience of of role playing and telling stories and whatnot um that 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 response and, and i i don't know if i expected that or not but uh i i would say overall that's that's the big difference is is sort of the level of people's i guess astonishment is the word i keep coming <laughs> back to um mm -hmm. of of what invisible sun is and so that's 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 fun and humbling and you know uh, it, it is definitely a, a, a positive thing for me to see that. It feels from the outside as though the way you have talked about it has seemed to me like maybe it came from a different part of you or a deeper part of you. Is that true or, or was this? No, I, there's, there's truth to that. Um, I, you know, I think that everything that a designer or any kind of writer writes, you know, is, is there, it's kind of a piece of them. I mean, the thing that people get wrong is that they assume that if you, if you're a writer and you say something or for, for heaven's <laughs> sakes, have a character say something, they think that, you know, you feel that way. Right. Um, but, but, but I would say that invisible sun more so than anything else that I've worked on is really the culmination of you know, 40 years of playing RPGs and seeing the things that work, the things that don't, the the things that game masters and players kind of, they come up with their own rules for, right? Every single time, right? Sort of those metagame issues, like, mm -hmm. what do I do if a player can't show up, right? And, and everyone sort of has their own answer for that. And some are good and some are bad and whatever. I wanted to design a game that went into the role-playing game experience with those kind of experience eyes wide open and and make a game that that deals with those issues right what do i what do i do with that guy who is really so into his character that he wants to keep talking about it even between game sessions right mm -hmm. well there's a whole facet of the game that is based around that right it's I know that they're not, uh, you know, connected on an org chart exactly, but it's interesting in light of that comment to have had the, uh, you know, you're in the process of of producing your best game ever and putting that together, and sitting in on one of the Gen Con sessions where you uh, and some others from MCG were kind of answering questions. It's obvious that that level of thoughtfulness that can only come from an entire life of telling stories with all different kinds of people kind of got absorbed into the product. And I think it's it's neat to look at something and say, you know, I've done other great things before, but this thing that we just made couldn't have come at another time in my career because right. all the pieces just weren't in place yet. That's really that's satisfying. That's really neat. I think that I think that you are right that that 
Invisible Sun absolutely sort of gave birth to your best game ever because it was thinking about the design of Invisible Sun and the things that go into every role-playing game session for every game that's played made me realize that, you know, a lot of these lessons can be extrapolated to, to every game, everyone who plays. So I will just take a moment to say I, I loved I loved your your choice of the word astounding. That's a, a perfect word, uh, I think, to encapsulate a lot of the player experience, just people I've talked to and myself, certainly. So kind of by way of transition to talking about the Kickstarter, I'll just say I loved storytelling and role-playing games when I was younger and then just kind of couldn't, just couldn't fit them into my life. I don't know. There wasn't time, whatever, grown-up stuff. Right. And then Numenera was really eye-opening because in the sort of quick and dirty, like, let's go tell a pulp story <laughs> way, the, the elegance of Numenera as a system allowed me to like start a lunchtime game that could fit within an hour and get good stories told and was easy to just jump into. And that kind of opened this part of me that had been closed for a long time. And then for me, Invisible Sun was neat because it was like, now that I've made space again in my life for this kind of art and this kind of game, Invisible Sun was <laughs> exactly what I hoped for, which is I really want a thing where piece by piece over possible years with good people that are close to me, I can chip away at a really deep, compelling story. So the two are very connected in my experience and came at a great time. So thank you for that. I'm so glad to hear that. I know it's not just me, so you sold out, I think, faster than you expected from the first run of Invisible Sun, yeah? Yeah, very much so. You know, the Kickstarter did quite well, and then, you know, we obviously printed a bunch of extras for uh, sales after the Kickstarter and, you know, into stores and whatnot, and and that all sold out just immediately. <laughs> um, uh, essentially, they weren't off the ship yet. Right. Um, and and we were sold out. And so that's exciting. I, I remember you guys sent out a kind of shocked email from, you know, which, which, whichever <laughs> like seller's convention you were at that was like, um, yeah, actually, <laughs> we might have just sold out. <laughs> yeah, which is, we know, good and bad, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's good because uh, the game was is sort of even more popular and, and, and you know, touched upon some things that were meaningful to people in an even bigger way. But it also means that we there were people out there who wanted the game who couldn't get it. And the question became, are there enough of those people to justify reprinting it? Because as you can imagine, these big black 30 pound full cubes um, are very, very expensive to make. Yes. And and obviously, right, it has a very high price tag. But we are we're going to give that a try. Um, one of the great things about Kickstarter, one of my favorite things is the is the thing that nobody really talks about which is Kickstarter as a sort of market research tool, right? We can put together a reprint Kickstarter with a very realistic goal. And, you know, if we don't reach that goal, that's not failure. That's good information, right? That's good intel, right? right? Sure. Um, because then we don't have to go through the process of printing this thing that maybe people don't want. Right. Um, obviously, that's not what we hope to have happen. The warehouse of black cubes is... Uh not something you want to have happen. <laughs> oh, it, it's kind of a nightmare, really. And and before, you know, before Kickstarter, that's, you know, that's what you would do is sure. you would go out and print however many of these things and then cross your fingers and say, I hope somebody buys one of these. And, and, and actually, even that's facetious because you just wouldn't make an Invisible Sun before Kickstarter, to be totally honest. 
right? Sure. Because you just wouldn't make this without knowing that there are people out there who wanted it. Yeah. So what have you learned? You've done some other reprint uh, Kickstarters recently on some of the other products. What are some things you've learned from that to kind of be armed with as you go into this reprint Kickstarter? Again, it's just sort of the the biggest part of it is 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 that is the question of, you know, we did the Kickstarter for Invisible Sun once, right? We sold it into stores. Is there a significant number of people out there who who want it? And and if there are, will will they hear about this Kickstarter, which you know it only goes on for four weeks or whatever? Sure. So uh, it's it's a real marketing challenge to do something like this because. In a way, we we kind of know that we've reached a lot of the people who would probably be interested in this game, and they have it right, and they're playing it right, right. now. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they, they don't need another one, right? Right. So, how do we reach the new people? Um, that is always the biggest challenge. That's really the biggest challenge, actually, with every Kickstarter and everything that we do. But with reprint Kickstarters, it, it, it's kind of that problem double, right? right. Because you know, sort of the the people who pay attention to us on Facebook and Twitter and and our website and whatnot, they already have Invisible Sun, or they've already decided that it's not for them. Right. So it's, it's sort of that next step of people that we need to reach. So if there's someone out there on this show who <laughs> obviously has heard me talk about Invisible Sun, probably you know ad nauseum, <laughs> but has their their interest has been piqued, give me a little preview of what to expect from uh, the announcement tomorrow. At nine seventeen Central Time, um, of course, we're gonna launch this Kickstarter. Um, it's much more simple and straightforward than certainly the original Invisible Sun Kickstarter. In that, you know, there's only a handful of backer levels. Basically, there's a backer level for people who have the cube, but don't have any of the additional stuff. You know, because we're coming out with supplements and and extras and things like that so that if you bought the black cube in retail or if you bought the black cube you know somewhere but you don't have all the extras but you now all of a sudden really want them you know things like book m which is a bunch more magic stuff a book called secrets of silent streets which is all about the the setting and saturine there's a creature book called the teratology and, and so on and then you know obviously if you didn't get on the original Kickstarter, you've got the option to to get in on it now. You'll have the option to get in on the directed campaign, which I already kind of talked about a little bit. And you know, in the in the scope of of this chat, I'm not going to be able to fully describe to you what Invisible Sun is. So I really encourage you to just go because uh, and and take a look at the Kickstarter because we're gonna it's gonna be full of links to you know more and more information it's going to be filled with i think some of the most amazing surreal fantasy art that you can find spectacular and uh you know uh we've been fortunate that we've had a lot of really great uh reviews written about us and so you can read those so there'll be a lot of information there to to talk about what invisible sun is you know one of the things that we heard during the original kickstarter People said I was kind of interested, but but you didn't tell me enough about it, which was very frustrating <laughs> because, of course, I felt like we told a lot. You know, we did brand new updates with world and game information every day and whatnot. But now that excuse is just gone, right? There, there you can read so much and download previews, and you, know, you can really, if you're if you want to know if Invisible Sun is for you, that information is is now quite easily available, and it will all be linked from the Kickstarter. 
Well, suffice it to say, if you are listening to this and you have any interest at all in Invisible Sun, please take a look at the Kickstarter launching shortly uh, for the reprint. Um, if you have fallen in love with Invisible Sun, as I have, uh, don't uh, don't give up on it just because you have the cube. Spend some time figuring out how to share that around and point people who do not have or have not experienced it yet to the Kickstarter. And yeah, let's get more Vizlay out there. The Hendasa would be would be proud. <laughs> I would be remiss to say that if you are already an Invisible Sun fan and and you know you already backed the original Kickstarter, for example, we're going to be doing some things with some stretch goals and whatnot that like some stretch goals, you know, might actually sort of retroactively apply to the original backers to give incentive, you know, for even the existing fans to help us spread the word and, and reach higher, reach higher goals and whatnot. We also, you know, if things go really well, we might be introducing some brand new invisible sun products in the, in the goals. So if you know if you are already a backer if you're already a fan don't just dismiss this out of hand as something that doesn't apply to you because it might very well that is super exciting aside from kickstarter watching the kickstarter tomorrow is there anything you want to leave behind as far as specific instructions about where to go to find out more about invisible sun or the reprint or who y'all are as a company <laughs> invisible sun rpg.com is a is a great sort of a resource of to see some of the art and and kind of get a general idea. Uh, MontecookGames.com has always has the the most up to date and recent uh, info and links to the Kickstarter and whatnot. And MontecookGames.com will will get you to all the stuff. So that's probably the best thing. Perfect. So as we close, do you mind if I ask you, Monty, for a a tiny gift? Okay. I was wondering if I could have you pick out some. You know, The Secret Cellar is a podcast. It is also a place in uh, Saturine that this lives at my table and in our stream. But I was wondering if I could give you a brief description of the room and have you craft some surreal detail of it, which will then just be canon because, you know, it's it's an invitation to bring out your pen. Okay. <laughs> so this space is below Zero's bar, and the secret entrance is back behind the little love tester machine in the corner. So there's, there's a little secret handshake, you know, combination of pressure you need to put on it. But entering long, low room, sort of train car shaped, aluminum panels on the ceiling, like or like tin, tin pressed panels, you know, low hanging smoke and jazz music. Everything's very, you know, sultry and cool. But of course, being the sort of you know excited about the gray place that this is, there's like magic dampening. So like totally utterly bizarre surreal things don't really happen here because they try to make it seem like a bar in the gray if you ever went to a tgi fridays circa 2000s with like a tuba on the wall and then like (laughs) a unicycle and just like they're just like weird gray objects smuggled in that are just like stuck around but i was wondering if you could leave some detail about the place that we could uh incorporate into our little world well so you know immediately this is the way my mind works right you you tell me the rules and i tell you and I, and my mind immediately goes to how i can circumvent those rules oh excellent i love it so i'm i'm wondering if like this magic dampening uh field or or whatever it is that you have what if it 
perhaps doesn't extend quite all the way to the ceiling where the lights are. And so uh, <laughs> up in the lights, um, whenever uh, a, a light goes out, there's actually uh, a ghost. There's a spirit. Uh, of a, of an old man and his whole job is to just go and change the light bulbs <laughs> and so you can occasionally see him but he but you know he understands the spirit of the place and so he tries to stay out of sight but he's not perfect at it and so sometimes you can catch a glimpse of him up by the you know the the light fixture the chandelier whatever it is you know and he's up there you know unscrewing a light bulb that is that is perfect it, it is an ongoing tension in here that like as much as you might want this to be like a bar in the gray, we're still in indigo, dude. So like <laughs> you know, things, things do seep through. Uh, I am going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to come up with some more details about that old man. And he is now uh, an official part of the secret cellar. So thank you cool. so much sure. for that little creative spark. And thank you for your time. I know that it takes uh, some energy to leave creative work and go speak to a human. And I deeply appreciate it. <laughs> You understand me so well. So, <laughs> oh, I am I am an introvert also. So anyway, but it's it's been so lovely to talk to you. And uh, yeah, we will see you around in the actuality. All right. Thank you, Monty. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Here in actuality, there is danger to be had at every turn. But let me tell you a funny thing about the gray. Sometimes, folks in shadow who had the luxuries of spare time and relative safety in their day-to-day -day lives would attempt to conjure up stories of peril and adventure in games they played. One such game I have read in the texts was called Dungeon World. I've received a strange, etheric transmission, and I'd like to tell you about it. Play to Find Out is a Dungeon World podcast, hosted by Arthur Berman and Voidlight, aka Eamon Mulholland. You'll hear from him on this show in just a minute. Play to Find Out invites you into thoughtful discussion from a different tavern each week. Arthur and Eamon talk through the mechanics, lore, story, and metagame aspects of Dungeon World, which you will immediately realize is a system they love and know very well. I'd like to stress, though, Play to Find Out is not just a podcast, it's a rich community and a fan-driven source of Dungeon World content. Dig a bit deeper and you'll find an active Discord for chat and interaction among fans and the show's hosts, audio zine content, fan contests, live streamed episodes, and links to resources across the Powered by the Apocalypse and Old School Renaissance community and beyond. Join Arthur, Eamon, and the vibrant community at playtofindout.net. Astounding. The word Monty chose to describe the reaction of players to Invisible Sun has stuck with me ever since I recorded the interview. I'd like to tell you a little bit about how your proprietor has found Invisible Sun to be astounding. There's so many things I could say, but I'll focus on two. The first is celebration. I'm nearly 40 years old. I have a family. I have a full-time job. I have freelance work to do. Just like all of us, I'm incredibly busy all the time. I don't have as many hours in my week as I wish to play good games and tell good stories with good friends. As I mentioned in the interview, Numenera and the Cypher system allowed me access back to this world because it's so easy to jump into a Cypher system game and quickly tell a really good story. It was a great entry point for me. But there's also something really beautiful about the Invisible Sun philosophy of celebration, which is if you do actually make time to get together 
with some of the greatest people sitting across the table from them, digging into a good story. Celebrate that. Give it everything you've got. So Invisible Sun is optimized for this. The physical components, the rich character and stories, the lush backdrop of the setting, all of these things are really geared toward allowing you to get as deep as possible and enjoy that moment to the fullest. The second thing that I think has set Invisible Sun apart for me are the types of stories that can be told. Part of this is the rich story prompts, which are baked into the mechanics, the character arc mechanics, the incredibly detailed characters as they get developed. But there's also something about the metaphysical and metaphorical nature of the setting and the philosophy and the lore. I haven't had as many rich, deep, human, philosophical conversations surrounding any other RPG that I've played, or to be honest, about much of anything in life in several years. It's been really, really wonderful to not only meet new friends in this community, but begin talking with them about important issues that I think are very relevant today to who we are as humans, where meaning comes from, what it means to be alive. And I think even the decision to set this podcast in the aesthetic setting of Invisible Sun has enhanced and enriched the conversations that I've had here with guests, whether they are Invisible Sun players or not. So I am astounded by and grateful for these two aspects of Invisible Sun. Let's walk out among the cocktail tables and hear from a few of the regulars. Hi there, my name's Ross. I go by at Hawklord2112, pretty much everywhere on the internet, and I've been a gamer for, ooh, crikey, approaching 30 years now. Invisible Sun and the Black Cube has amazed and astounded me for many different reasons. First of which is the production value. It's just such a uniquely visual game. The quality and quantity of the ingredients and the design from top to bottom. The gameplay, obviously an extension of the cipher system, is simple and elegant and usable. The biggest thing about it for myself, I believe, is that it's the first so-called character-driven role-playing game that actually includes mechanisms and mechanics and rewards and rules for doing so. There have been a lot of other character-driven games before which just haven't supported the idea of being driven by the characters. You know, they've got all of these tools and wonderful stories and depths and everything, but nothing to say, well, okay, how do you drive these characters? How do you reward their progress? You know, how do you define what they want to do? They've all been too wishy-washy. Invisible Sun is more open in scope than any of the games that I've had beforehand, but it actually gives you a framework to base this character-driven story off of. So that's my uh, testimony, I suppose you'd give it. Hi, my name is Rourke Bywater. And I love Invisible Sun, and one of the reasons that I love Invisible Sun is because of the Pale Sun specifically, and how it's portrayed. So the Pale Sun is about death, but more specifically, it's about the future and the idea that that's some place that things go, and that's some place that things are going to go. So it's not a kind of fatalistic view of death as something that holds the past, as I think it's often portrayed in fiction, but it's really a forward-looking view of things. And that really became clear to me. I was one of the backers for A Woman with Hollow Eyes, and Darcy offered that my dog, who had just died, could be put into the sun. Uh, I was just the warden of the Pale Sun, so we were having a party at the Pale Sun. 
the uh, everlasting party at the Pale Sun. And so he was able to be there, and that was really nice and meant a lot to me. So I guess it's a combination of the people who make things for Invisible Sun and the concepts of Invisible Sun itself combined to create meaning. And that meaning can be created for helping you deal with grief or for any other number of things. It's a very flexible world. But the kind of twisting ideas on their head that Invisible Sun often does, I think, lets us talk about things in ways that we normally aren't able to or it's more difficult to. So the surrealism maybe paradoxically makes things much clearer and simpler sometimes. So that's why, or one of the reasons why, I love Invisible Sun. Hey all, this is Eamon, also known as Voidlight, from the Play to Find Out podcast. I'm here to throw in my two mage coins on what Invisible Sun has meant to me. At the risk of gushing, I'll say that every moment I've spent at the table with Invisible Sun has been a fascinating dance of humor, danger, narrative, and mystery. It's a game where characters bear their souls to each other and then terrible things try to eat those souls. A game where you accidentally offend a two-foot-tall golden angel named Three Bells Told Before Midnight, who then swears to sever your lineage. A game where you return home after a jaunt in a violently verdant jungle by teleporting the recently de-spidered floating house of a dead wizard back to the city of notions you hail from, but you botch the process and you're rendered permanently blind with eyes of solid indigo. A game where you find out your father is actually a street. A game where you get into a heated legal dispute with a pompous floating head. A game where the dog-sized wasps are the least of your problems. A game where you attempt to save your wife during childbirth, and that fractures your timeline. And now you can not only not visit her, since the Pale Embassy classifies you as her murderer, but now half the time you exist as your own son. A game where you pray to roll zeros on translucent dice, just to see the wicked grins on your friends' faces. A game where you move to a new city for a month, and make friends who play the same game, and somehow you're playing more steadily with those friends than friends you've known for years, even after you move away. A game where the published adventures include audio files and recipes for mixed drinks. A game where you join a community of online people collaborating to track down geocaches and secrets hidden in cryptic web pages. A game saturated in magic and yet incredibly human. A game that deals far more with the expansion of belief than the suspension of disbelief. A game that doesn't say, what if our world but different, but instead says, what if our world but far, far more. A game where if you're skeptical, you can reach out to me online and I will invite you to a Tuesday night to find out what you're missing. Thank you, MCG, and thank you, Mixtrix, Salamander, Platinum, Tarsit, Plato, Mendenbar, Nathaniel, Chaucer, Audivin, Clavager, and the Thief with No Name. I'll never forget you. Hey, Dave Hanlon here. Uh, I'm one of the hosts of the Incantations podcast. Uh, we talk about Invisible Sun uh, now on a weekly basis, uh, and... We've been doing it ever since the Kickstarter was announced. Well, right, right about then, uh, back in 2016, and I got into Invisible Sun uh, because my friends and I were talking about who was going to run this game uh, two years ago after it was announced at Gen Con, uh, and it was decided we would we would run it in the group that I lead, um, and ever since then I've just sort of been. Uh, digging into it, reading about it, talking about it, and trying to understand what this game is and trying to understand how to uh, present a game to my players that is different from Dungeons & Dragons. It's not as focused on fighting and 
battling monsters, but there there's a bit more to it. Uh, and it's a process and I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Uh, but what I learned along the way is that the community that's built up around invisible sun, um, similar to Numenera and the other cipher system games, the community is one of the biggest draws for me at this point. I've met so many people just because I've been, you know, interested and, you know, I've been talking about Invisible Sun for so long. Um, I, I think that's probably the best thing that I've, you know, taken from almost any game at this point. You know, I've, I've met my my co-host Scott, who is an incredible guy. He's he's brilliant and smart, and you know, he brings a lot of uh, interesting conversation to our podcast. Uh, and I can listen to him talk about all sorts of you know surreal works and. Uh, I, and I'm totally happy to just sit there and listen, even though, you know, we're supposed to be having a conversation. Uh, so if, if you haven't listened to his talk about, uh, the themes that world war one, uh, what surrealism explored after world war one, uh, listen to that one. I think that might've been my favorite episode of ours. Um, and we've had, uh, several other guests on, uh, and I've been able to meet all sorts of people at Gen Con uh, and have, you know, an excuse to talk to them uh, and a common ground that we can quickly, you know, quickly find uh, because I, I'm not a big fan of talking to strangers. Uh, and that's, you know, that's been something that I'm grateful to Invisible Sun for doing for me. Uh, it's provided me an avenue to meet all sorts of wonderful people uh, and talk talk with them about pretty much anything at this point. Um, and that's also how I've gotten in touch with uh, Jason and been able to, you know, listen to the secret seller and appreciate it when it does come out. It's been a fantastic show. And I guess it's all thanks to invisible sun that we have this, this, you know, great stuff out there and these great uh, creators making stuff for me to listen to and appreciate. Um, so I'm hoping that, Invisible Sun catches my players at the table uh, in the same way that it's caught me. Um, and we continue to play it for, uh, I guess, as far as my tables are concerned, a long time being about 12 to 18 months. So uh, looking forward to really digging into this and continuing to enjoy the setting that Monty has created for us once again. Hello, I am Ken Davidson, and I'm sorry, Secret Seller, I don't have one way Invisible Sun has changed my life. Instead, I have three. The first was taking something that I feel I always felt was so important, and I did on the side anyway, but making it a vibrant part of the game was in development mode. They're codifying downtime and putting structures in place to make sure that happens. And it makes so much more sense for the character to have developed themselves in that way. And it kind of changed how I look at role-playing games and took something that I knew was in the back of my mind and put a name to it and put a structure to it. And that's really just changed my entire outlook on role-playing games. The second was the fact that they're people. Like, the characters in this game are very much people and alive. They have homes, they have jobs, they 
buy furniture, they buy things to make their house look better, they have friends, they have their own individual character arcs. And taking those things that makes a person and a character come to life is something that I, again, I really appreciate the thought and effort put into it. And I, I really feel like it's going to change the approach to role-playing games as a whole. And third, and most importantly, is the community that has been built around the game. I really have made some very dear friends in the community, and I've been inspired to create and not only fan art, but uh, I did my first cosplay I've ever done. I did the ghost girlfriend of Darcy Ross's The Cicatrix character and at Big Bad Con, and that was so much fun. Um, everyone was so nice, and everyone was so excited for me, and that just meant a whole lot. And so thank you, Darcy, and thank you, Monica Games, for the community you've built around your wonderful game. Uh, it's beautiful accepting and very inclusive and i think that's something that sticks through all the products they make and especially this one thank you for spending time with me here tonight First, a Kickstarter update. Between the time I recorded this show and the time of its release, the Invisible Sun reprint Kickstarter has not only funded, it is 134% funded as I record today. The Hindrasa are thrilled. This means more Vizlay will be pulled from shadow and brought forth into the light of indigo. But this absolutely doesn't mean you should sit back and be satisfied with the current state of things. If you've never taken part in an MCG Kickstarter before, it's a wild ride. As a reprint campaign, this one will be simpler than some of their more elaborate Kickstarters, but with enough support, they'll be announcing more stretch goals. Here's the current state of things. All backers, including those who backed the original Invisible Sun Kickstarter, no action required on this one, are already going to be receiving a PDF copy of We Began at the End, an excellent one-shot that MCG released for Gen Con this year. I thoroughly enjoyed running it. Ask Jeremy Land at Watchtower North sometime about his outreach to the forgotten and broken-hearted doors of Saturine. When we passed $125,207, backers at levels which received the stretch goals unlocked a whole new packet of props, similar to those in the Black Cube, which will be delivered in PDF form. Coming up next, at $166,103, a second softcover art book, like the one in the cube, featuring art and inspiration from other parts of the Invisible Sun universe. There are still 15 days to go, and rumors of much more ambitious stretch goals being unlocked, if we can push this even further. The good work we do now will benefit Vizlay for years to come. Head over to the Kickstarter and take a look. I'm hoping this episode will nudge at least one of you into gathering some friends together, sharing the cost, and taking the plunge. You won't regret it. You may even be astounded. Second announcement. If you'd like to see how the game is played, there's an upcoming streaming event that you must know about. My friend Ian Smith, who is featured in episode one of this podcast, is jamming an introductory Invisible Sun one-shot on their channel at twitch.tv slash iangamesmith for the Extra Life Fundraiser for Children's Miracle Network. It's this Saturday, November 3rd, from 2 to 6 Pacific. Monty Cook Games will be matching donations up to $500, 
and offering a $5 coupon at their store for any donations over $15. Your donations during the stream can affect the outcome of the game. I'll be playing as the Red Shaper, an arachnoid maker whose very nature is beset by the desire to unmake. I have to tell you, I am legitimately starstruck by every member of this cast. Richard Kreutzlandry, the GM of that Descent into Midnight game that made me cry at Gen Con a few episodes back, and Rourke Bywater and Alexei Othan and Gerard, both past guests on the show, and MCG's own Darcy Ross will be joining in. I'm so excited to be playing my favorite game alongside so many of my favorite story nerds. Ian has told me they plan to take things slow and explain the rules and mechanics as we go along, so this should be a perfect introduction to Invisible Sun, if you're curious. Finally, I'm going to be launching a Patreon soon for The Secret Cellar. Details forthcoming, but I love being here with you all, and I'm excited to try and make this a sustainable indigray speakeasy going forward. If supporting this show directly sounds pleasant to you, please write and let me know what kinds of things you might enjoy access to as a patron. Thanks once again to Gamers Giving and the Play to Find Out podcast for support of this episode. Audio design for The Secret Cellar is by Casey Ross. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games, with whom Zeros.bar and The Secret Cellar are unaffiliated. May you find freedom, my friends, from Shadow. Thank you.